Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz and I'm obsessed with the future of work and all things co-working and flexible work. In our second season, we're focusing on technology. I'll be interviewing amazing humans from all over the map in this five-part series. We'll be exploring the future of work, technology, new models, and of course, somehow I'll work in some health and wellness. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. And I am so excited to have Melissa Gregg, the chief technologist and specialist in user experience and sustainability from the giant Intel with us today. Hi, Liz. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much. And, you know, I was sleuthing your LinkedIn and I just had to read out part of the explanation of what you do because I thought it was really good. You said it says Melissa inspires technologists, colleagues, consumers, and customers to embrace the shift to climate neutral computing. This requires a fundamental reckoning with business as usual for the PC industry and extensive collaboration across design, architecture, engineering, finance, policy, and marketing. Like, wow. tiring, right? (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. We We could just unpack this for the next 40 minutes. But I just loved that it talked about what you were doing and kind of what some of the challenges are and across all the industries that you're working through. And I just think it's so interesting. But before we get started on all that, real quick, we're going to do a speed round because I'm a goofball and I love a speed round. Mm -hmm. So go off the top of your head. Okay, here we go. App you can't live without. Uh, Tune in. Oh, okay. Phone alarm or old school alarm to wake up? No alarm. Circadian rhythm. Love it. Robots in the house, yes or no? Mm-mm, no. Last app you downloaded? Uh, it would be a bird watching app because I'm about to take some time off. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. COVID 19, good or bad for technology advancement? Huge. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. Okay. And we will dive into that more in a moment. But before we go any further, I have to ask the question I like to ask everybody, especially in these times. And I know that uh, you will answer with the utmost honesty and tell us exactly how you're doing. Yeah, well, you can count on me as an Australian to tell the honest truth. And wow, I am okay, but I am really homesick. Mm. And um, I think like a lot of people, I found myself stranded in America (laughs) for more than a year. And that was more than I bargained for. I, I really do miss my family. But on the upside, as you were mentioning with the technology inflection this past year, I finally taught my dad how to use a video conferencing system. (laughs) So I'm actually talking to him more often than I was. And that's a definite up from what has been yeah, a really tragic situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have my um, parents within driving distance of me and we get to see each other quite far apart, but you can still see them. You know, and it, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Seeing and and being able to do 3D <laughs> visualization, even if you can't touch. Yeah. Yes. I'm very aware of the nuances of presence. Yeah, for sure. So you do so many things. What are you working on right now? Well, uh, the great thing about my past year is that I have become a research team leader 
which means I have a bunch of people working on things with me. Um, the main thing that we've been looking at this year is, of course, how people have adjusted to remote work. Mm. And you probably know a little bit about my background, but I have had over the last decade a, a long and, and profound interest in mm-hmm. how people are working outside of the traditional office. And so we decided to just roll with it and to study the adjustment that people went through, especially um, in the April, May, June period last year when things were just, you know, how the hell do we do this if you're mm-hmm. working in a large corporation? But also what we found in some of the research, we did a couple of studies back to back, was a, a real difference in how people were adjusting depending on their company culture. So mm. what I'm working on is a, a way of thinking about this transition post-COVID to really accelerating what was already happening in agile work practices. So how we work in distributed locations becoming now the norm, as opposed to what a lot of technology has been designed around, which is the assumption that people will have a place of work and and an office structure and often a hierarchy in the workplace that, that they occupy. So we've been unpacking that and coming up with some new theories of, of how companies are going to evolve in, in relation to this change. So interesting. So what are some of the things that you think are going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months? I mean, I think just like from, from a remote work perspective, I think that people are now going to have a choice. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion as people try to figure out the flexible work slash co-working scene and where mm-hmm. they fit in. I think corporations are all screwed rambling to figure out how to best support their employees, how to keep their employees productive. And actually, the thing you mentioned earlier was culture. Like, how do you have a culture when everybody is remote? Yeah, I mean, it's a profound change for companies that took for granted their physical presence. The real estate was was something that people took for granted as an expectation of you go to work <laughs> if you work yeah. in a company. And I know this audience is is more diverse than that. But the thing that was really striking was how traumatic that became to people. They sort of not realized how much they rely on the hallway as a place to bump into people, mm-hmm. get information, to schmooze with the boss and, and get their like point across mm-hmm. and even quite nail it in a meeting in, in a conference room environment. So there's all this like awareness that we've come to see as a result of the research to say like, oh, there's this whole etiquette and infrastructure around space that is very hard to simulate online. Another good example is, you know, the whiteboard session that everybody loves to do when Mm -hmm. they're brainstorming and they're trying to innovate and getting everybody around a whiteboard is another one of these examples where we saw people really struggling with the adjustment. Mm -hmm. How do you make that the same kind of emotional or kinetic experience when you are all just staring at a screen and you can't assume the same level of access or connectivity? So yeah, it's, there's just so much about space that become really apparent when it's taken away from us. Right. Um, but I think that's also catalyzing a whole new industry of, of tools, whether it's Zoom or Miro or what have you, that are allowing people to slowly, gradually adjust to that and see if they can figure out a way that works for them. So what are some of the tools that you think are really exciting and what do you think is missing? So I'm not sure that I'm excited about anything, to be honest with you. Because Me neither. What- I have seen is a massive consolidation of how enterprise software was already being rolled out. Mm -hmm. And here we have like the classic (laughs) distinction between how Teams has grown while Slack has been acquired over this Mm -hmm. period. 
So if the fact is that we have a whole lot of people using video now, you know, regardless of what you think about that, mm-hmm. which, again, is a compensation. People are, are striving to simulate that face-to-face presence and what that creates are new pressures on, and, and, again, new kinds of dilemmas for workers to figure out, should I be on video? Is it okay for me not to be on video? Oh, I don't really feel like being on video. Right. I want to use the ironing. Like, is anyone going to judge me? <laughs> Yeah, well, it was listening to Adam Grant's podcast, Work Life, that I learned that actually you listen better with video off. And then it was some of the talking with Rex Miller, who I sent you his book about the healthy workplace nudge, Mm -hmm. that I learned that, um, you know, a four-hour meeting on Zoom is the equivalent to a 21-mile walk in nature. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I think what we also saw in our research and what I've observed, you know, in my own corporate environment is um, I think a lot of people were covering mm-hmm. their challenges of especially work and family pressure by having conference calls audio only. And mm-hmm. now that there is this new opportunity and sometimes expectation that people will show that they are listening by being visible, that creates constraints on families that maybe had workarounds pretty well set up. Mm -hmm. But it also creates new kinds of divisions between workers who can't necessarily access, you know, a a safe and quiet place to Mm -hmm. do that work. But it it gets back to the the, the question about culture. Like there is a performative element to to work and and to how you show up, literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it, it's become apparent to me doing this research that um, a lot of that is unspoken. Um, it, a lot of it is self-imposed pressure. Mm-hmm. And unless workplaces, getting to your question about what will, what will happen, unless workplaces realise that they, those are sorts of conversations that need to be um, encouraged so that people can have realistic expectations of each other, I think we're really going to struggle with this transition because a lot of corporate um, environments have not had that conversation since the introduction of email. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I bet a lot of people out there are like, so why does Intel care? How's this going to help you sell more chips? Well, uh, it became really clear (laughs) that um, people need PCs over the last year. (laughs) We couldn't get enough of them. Um, And so the work that my team does is to really do the original research with end users of the devices to make sure that, you know, we're getting them the features that they need. Um, Mm -hmm. And a good example of that is, yeah, traditionally the PC business has been organized in roughly two camps. Like you're either a consumer Mm -hmm. or part of the, you know, this given your background, but you're either a consumer or you're part of a commercial sales channel. And Mm -hmm. the actual devices that you receive are different based on that sales channel. And so if the commercial machine was only ever tested in an environment where you're in an office with all of the best kinds of IT support, (laughs) then the kinds of benchmarks or um, performance expectations of that machine, you know, they take a lot for granted. So when people first started going home, we found that a lot of people were complaining about their systems because video conferencing was taking up so much energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what what happens when you've got a whole fleet and probably two months 
um, sorry, <laughs> two years of supply of PCs <laughs> that are still operating on this outdated premise. So why Intel cares is because I work alongside the engineers who, who actually allow those features to be enabled or not enabled on your PC platform. And so we have a, a very constant dialogue about whether what they are building should be supported based on changing social conditions. So that's the role of the social scientist and the user researchers on my team. And it's heaps of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am I am not happy that I am the IT department. And I'm it's, you know, I, it's funny because I you would think I love technology because I worked for Dell and then I ran a co-working space where I was, you know, I ran all that technology and now here I am at home fighting with a printer. <laughs> I think this is a common lament. We, we'll have COVID poetry about failed printers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I look to the, the oatmeal has my favorite graphic ever on printers. I believe it's called printers are sent from hell or something like that. It's really good. You should look it up. Um, so, you know, the other thing I think is so interesting is some of your background studies in gender. And I was just super curious how you think COVID and technology can is going to change and how technology, I'm asking two questions. Okay. How do you think COVID can change inclusivity and diversity? And then the question I'm going to ask after that is how can technology help? Yeah. Massive questions. I know. Uh, lots of people are looking at this. And I think that the concerning dimension that I still don't know what to think about because um, so much of this is related to the American process for childcare or um, yeah. uh, maternity leave and, yeah. and bigger structural questions around the economy. But um, we're, we're clearly seeing the statistics that women are leaving their jobs in order to make up for the lack of childcare available. This is this is one of those things that has been intensified by COVID. And then I think on the other hand, we have a very vocal and active conversation about race happening in American culture um, globally, but also in the tech industry and rightfully so. So when I'm feeling pessimistic, <laughs> I worry about um, the ways that women are losing access to ground that they had gained mm -hmm. in representation in formal and hierarchical workplaces. But I I say hierarchical because I actually think that um, what this is going to require are reforms to the way that we organise work. And, and that means in terms of top-down hierarchies and a mm -hmm. career ladder that you either move up or you don't, mm -hmm. or the nine-to-five or the assumption that if you can't make the nine-to-five, then you'll make a seven-to-three schedule work because then you can still pick up the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole, like, again, work around mm -hmm. <laughs> of how flexibility of the workplace has not been accommodating enough for different kinds of people. I think on the racial justice and equity side, I, I see a lot of progress already in my own workplace, but, but in a lot of different venues I've been virtually <laughs> attending recently. The question is going to be um, what, what systemic change can happen, right? Because mm -hmm. we are dealing with a situation that has very long, very long roots and the ancestry of this country is very much being debated right now in um, Black History Month in February. So I, I hope that this is going to allow a new generation of leaders to shine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do to, too. 
um, whether or not they move up hierarchies, I think they will create the kinds of visibility that will be needed to push for change in new models. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the women conversation, you know, I was Primal Scream by the New York Times had just come out, I guess, this weekend or something. Mm -hmm. And we've, you know, talked about it online a lot. And, you know, I'm just trying to shine a light on the problem because I think a lot of men in particular aren't aware Mm -hmm. of how big this problem is and how this is going to affect the the generation these women are raising in a really profound way. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And what's also unusual about this this past year is that a lot of men have been home and they have had to see. Yeah. <laughs> what's in, involved in, in the day of someone who's a primary caregiver while you're maintaining corporate hours? Mm-hmm. And that has also, I think, been a, re- a real growing and learning experience um, for, for people who have spent their whole lives going to work every day. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's also... Uh, a prompt for change. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like, I think we just are at this amazing, like I'm, I feel guilty saying it and I've said it a couple of times on workplace trends. I feel guilty for being excited about the future because it was bought about in such a horrible way with this pandemic. But I feel like we've got this like little crack that if we just pry it open, we can create so much change for good. Sometimes it takes a real traumatic event to instigate change. I think that's what mm-hmm. we see. And it has been a couple of generations since there have been major sacrifices required of yeah. people who rearrange yeah. their lives in ways that are inconvenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the way that we innovate. So it's so fun to talk to you because you're so knowledgeable on so many different things. I love it. So I wanted to touch on technology and sustainability. Okay. Because I think that's another thing that can really win post-COVID. I think that's um, that's open to debate. <laughs> so Ooh, goody, let's debate. Part of, part of what I'm trying to figure out with a lot of my colleagues at the moment is, are we going to be able to claim that working from home is better for the environment? You know, because that is the the question people are asking all the time. You know, I'm not commuting anymore, so surely that's better for the planet or... Well, you know, it's funny. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it one of the things that I used to use to sell my workspace when I had my workspace here in Austin is I would say, you know, turn up your air conditioning and come share hours mm-hmm. because everybody is, you know, turning on their air conditioner in Austin, Texas. Yep. And, you know, that is that a win? I don't think so. <laughs> so, yeah, I would agree that there are and, you you know, don't even get me started on how having a home office is a privilege. I got into a fight on LinkedIn because this guy was like, just make a bigger home office. And I was like, oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the thing, I guess, um, that's really hard to figure out are some of those other areas of technology adoption that have occurred at the same time. So if you just take video conferencing as an example, if we're using video more, <laughs> And we're all doing it and we're not talking about the norms of why we're doing it. And we normalize the use of video streaming and projection and broadcasting as Mm -hmm. the only way to communicate. We're creating an appetite for data that is extremely unsustainable. 
if you look at the forecasts for energy consumption for data servers over the next decade, mm-hmm. that was not factoring in what's just happened with everybody moving to video calls and also binging on Netflix because they're stuck at home. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, it's not a simple question. We have to think about sustainability systemically and we really do have to find the expertise, the kinds of scientists and mm-hmm. um economists who are going to measure these things in ways that are believable Mm -hmm. because I do think that it is an important consciousness raising effort to think about what does my technology consumption normalize for industry appetites and then if you think about all the people that are still yet to come online (laughs) if we're building devices that are serving the top end of the market in in a very privileged culture are we creating you know a path for technology adoption that's um, that's going to be very hard to say, sustain. So, yeah, it's not easy. I wish I had simple answers. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Like <laughs> that's why you're a researcher. You have to explore all the things. Indeed. You know, one of the things I, I've been saying for many, many years, and I believe, and I just wanted to run it by you, is oftentimes up on stage at GCL say nothing absolutely nothing can replace human face-to-face interaction. I don't care if you get all Star Trek-y and we start beaming ourselves other places. It's not the same. Yeah, I think you're right because I have a background in affect theory. I believe in the chemistry of bodies being in the same space because we catch energy from each other. We we inspire each other. And I think the thing that we have to maybe live with as a result of what we've learned recently is there are some substitutes that are okay. Mm -hmm. And in the past, maybe people weren't even aware of it, right? So Mm -hmm. what we've introduced to the possibility horizon, especially for for large corporate um, concerns, is there are alternatives and you should really save the best face-to-face experience, that premium Mm -hmm. experience with others, with with the people that are most important to you. Yeah, Um, And that applies personally and professionally, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you are the sum of the people you hang out with and the energy you hang out with. And so, yeah, it's super important. I I saw a thing on Twitter this morning where somebody said um, businesses are looking at putting together corporate retreat Mm -hmm. ownership instead of offices. And I'm like, ah, yeah, that's awesome. Good. Like make it better. And so I was super excited about that. But yeah, it's also interesting because, you know, creatives are really sought after talent. And most creatives I know need that energy. They certainly need some downtime and some away time to be creative too. But that, you know, being together and talking with each other and vibing off each other and stuff, you can't just work in a silo all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And And it comes through in our research as well. Like there's a whole range of different modes of of people's day, some of which is best spent alone if you're trying to get something really detailed or or Mm -hmm. important done. But just as important and and the balance you need to find and and strike is the serendipity, right? This is is how a lot of co-working spaces were, were designed to begin with is create those collisions to push your thinking in your direction mm-hmm. and allow you to see what else is going on in the world. And having yeah. that created virtually is hard, right? Because a lot of what um, physical space does is also creates a form of, of 
a credentializing function or a sort of a bond between you, like, oh, I'm safe in this environment because it's been designated for this kind of purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, What's harder to do online is to establish trust with people who you don't know that well. And that's that's certainly been one of the challenges building a team remotely during this environment. It's like, how do you get to know each other and how do you build trust? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, early on in co-working, we often refer to it as accelerated serendipity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I, you just, you know, if if you've got a good community manager, they're helping people meet each other and connect. Like I would just walk through the space giving a tour and be like, oh, you're in sales? Well, Joe is in sales. And <laughs> like, that's all you have to do to get them to start a conversation with each other. Right. Yeah. And it requires a little bit of human insight, like Mm -hmm. those qualities of being able to make connections. I don't know if that's something that you can learn when you're just doing Zoom windows constantly. (laughs) It's a kind of subtlety to human interaction. Yeah. Definalities that, yeah, it's hard to recreate. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. What question should I have asked you that I didn't? Well, the question, I guess, is on my mind a little bit. And it gets back to sustainability is um, how are we creating sustainable work lives post-COVID? And mm-hmm. it's something on my mind because I think one of the temptations with this technology has been to use it to do everything that you can't do anymore. And that that's been creating new kinds of exhaustion. I mean, we've, we've heard a lot about Zoom fatigue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all of this took place. And so what I'm concerned about a little when I look to the ways that um, workplaces are encouraging mindfulness and meditation and taking time for yourself, a lot of these recommendations are based on technology too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So download an app for that and yeah, you'll get a reminder that you should step away from your computer by your computer. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I write about this in my book, Counterproductive, and the title is intentional. You know, it's like we have all of these tools telling us how to be more productive including how to meditate productively or or how to like regenerate in a way that's um yeah helpfully aided by technology so when i think about sustainability and user experience i i'm thinking also about what is what is the way that we're using technology to guide us and sometimes i wonder if we should be using each other without mediation without technology to build those relationships and well yeah and i mean I mean, it's also, you know, one of the things I've been saying as of late is the next pandemic is the mental health crisis because that is killing people. And, you know, a lot of that is from work stress. Yep. And according to the World Economic Forum, you know, the, the most costly thing to all companies globally, healthcare line item is depression. It's right. not obesity. It's not addiction. It's depression. And yeah, apps are great, but there are no replacement for humans. And like, that's why I was always like co-working and flexible workspace has a place in combating depression globally. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you can go and get that human connection when you're sent home to work. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think that what concerns me a little, um, looking at at some of the coverage of of how kids have been adapting to this environment too, is, you know, if if all your social interaction is coming through the screen, like I'm not (laughs) one of those people who thinks like gaming is evil or whatever, but I do do worry about how Mm -hmm. you create 
incredible perceptions and self-perceptions when everything is mediated. And it seems as though, yeah, some of that has been having negative effects on kids because they're still develop, developing the skills to, to learn mm-hmm. how they're valued in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, what we talk about when we talk about sustainability, it, it's about um, maintaining yourself and an awareness of what you're capable of of as as much as it is about the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always love to end it with like, you gotta take care of yourself. You've got to check on others. You've got to, you know, use the apps to do whatever, because pretty soon we'll be getting back to normal and we can't just go back to what the normal was. We need a better new normal now. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, But I'm really glad that I get to talk to you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would talk to you all day if your assistant would let me. But I am now going to end it on a fun note. I'm going to take us back to 12-year-old Mel. Where in the world was 12-year-old Mel? I'm guessing in Australia? I would have been in Tasmania. So yeah. okay. I don't know if everyone knows this about me, but I grew up down under, down under, down under. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> Is that where uh, they have those adorable, like, little teddy bear creatures? The, the Tassie Devil. Is uh-huh. No, my- not the scary one. There's, like, a really cute one that smiles in Australia. No. No, oh, okay. like, koala bear? <laughs> no, no, no. There's another one. I'll send you a link. I can't think of the name of it. We but have okay. a lot of animals. <laughs> okay, so you're down in Tasmania. I am, Yes. And I'm going to time warp you back. What are you going to tell 12-year-old Mel? Uh, I think that the thing I should be told is to stop listening to Guns N' Roses. (laughs) (laughs) Why? It's just not really the life you're going to live. (laughs) (laughs) I was... um, I was a kid who grew up in the country, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to diverse media. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I, I really remember is the transition from AM to FM. Mm-hmm. Even that, in retrospect, was not revolutionary enough. It was uh, probably another five years until I discovered punk rock and my life was a lot more exciting. I love it. <laughs> that's what I, I love it. And I love, a, I love some GNR. Yeah, it certainly does fire up something primal within me. <laughs> it takes me back to my roots. I love it. When I was in Thailand, um, we had bought some CDs at some market, and most of them didn't work, but that one worked. So I listened to it nonstop for like a week once. That's one did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so, there, there's been some progress in the world and my musical tastes, I hope. Yeah, same, same. But, you know, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed of GNR. Um, Well, Mel, always a delight to talk to you. I just love catching up with you. And I love hearing about research and what you're thinking about and sustainability and inclusivity. And you've touched on so many things. And I'm so excited to share this with my peeps. Thanks for having me, Liz. I love talking to you as well. And I'm really looking forward to our next in-person conference. And yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks for listening to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. Please subscribe to the Juicy Podcast to be sure you won't miss our next season. If you enjoyed this episode, please keep listening and throw us a like. Until next time, take care of yourself. Ciao.